Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Top Podcast. I'm Oshin, recording in Slovenia. And I'm Podrick, recording in Vancouver. Another week, another update to Castro. <laughs> yeah, that's two weeks in a row that we've got updates out. Feels kind of good to just be pushing them out. Yeah. So 3.0.4 came out on Monday morning or midnight or kind of depending on your time zone. Came out on Monday anyhow. Basically, the only thing that's in the update is new app, app icons. So I think it was in iOS 10 at some stage. Apple added the capability to for you to change the default app icon. So um, we added in a bunch of bunch of different icons that Castro subscribers can can change for the app. Obviously, not a huge thing, but kind of a fun thing. It was fun to work on. So we brought back the Castro 1 icon. This Castro 2 icon is still there, of course. And then also a kind of a new glyph kind of based on the based on the plus image that we use to represent Castro Plus. Um, and then each icon in six different colors. Um, so small enough feature, but it was kind of fun to work on and, and get out there, and people have seemed to to appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's probably not going to convince a ton of people to subscribe, but it's nice to give people something extra, and the reaction was pretty good. You came up with a good way to push the feature to people so that they'd know that it existed. In earlier features that are subscription-only, uh, we always just notified you like when you tried to activate it. So if you tried to press trim silence, then you'd get the uh, view controller telling you, oh, you have to subscribe for this. But for this one, this is the first time that we put something up in one of the gadgets at the top, which are like little message bubbles that are just in line in the table view. You can scroll past them. You don't have to interact with them. But yeah, it's a good place for us to let you know without being, well, I don't think it's too intrusive, but it's still informative. So that's interesting to have that out there because I imagine there are still some people who've haven't even realized there is a subscription feature so far. Yeah, we originally used that style of that style of message to kind of teach different parts of the app. Um, we have a tutorial at the start that walks you through a few different stages of the app. But then we knew that in context, it was going to dif- be different things we wanted to teach people. And we had talked on a previous episode about how as we added new features to the app, I thought it was going to be important for us to like find ways to let people know about them, either because to try to convince them to become subscribers or even just if somebody is already a subscriber, it's good to have a way to let them know, hey, thanks for subscribing. And by the way, this is a new thing that you can do. Obviously, in this case, it was still just a small enough thing. I mean, I kind of explicitly wanted to just call it a bonus feature. I didn't want to be kind of overselling what it was. It's a small bonus for now. We're still working on on other new stuff for future updates for 3.1 and beyond. But yeah, that style of messaging seemed like a good thing that we could hook into. We already had kind of all the infrastructure in the app in place for how to display messages like that in different places. Um, I just adjusted it slightly, just with a slightly new style that can include like a header image so that we could draw a little bit more attention to it so that it did become, I mean, it looks slightly more like advertising-y or, I mean, maybe it's a little bit more pushy than just a pure text one. But also I just think I just wanted to design something pretty and <laughs> I don't know, just use the image as an, as an added way to like draw people's attention to it. Um, because especially, I mean, I think over time, if you see, if people have seen those got a lot and they already are very familiar with the app, I just think that having a header image on it kind of just emphasized that, hey, look, this is definitely something that you haven't seen before. Um, so yeah, that was good to see. And there was a small bump in subscriptions. So even though I said I didn't think many people would subscribe just to get new icons, uh, whatever combination of that, maybe that was the uh, 
the last thing that pushed them over into subscribing or they'd already intended to but never got around to it. So that's cool to see that that, that did have some kind of impact. Yeah, so yeah, it could have been people who just, yeah, really loved the new icons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or even, as you said earlier, just people who this is the first time they even realized that there was a subscription at all. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over time. I mean, I guess if there is going to be a bump for people who just the icons were enough to convince them now that, okay, yeah, now I'm going to become a subscriber. I mean, that will be a short-lived bump, I imagine. But I'm somewhat still hopeful that having this there in the context of the in the main context of the app as a way of even just letting people know that there's a subscription that even just new users who are downloading the app for the first time every day will learn about the subscription sooner because of this and maybe um i don't know i'm still hopeful that maybe over time we might see that this kind of raised the baseline even even ever so slightly i just think it makes good sense for us to be doing what we can in a free app to just make sure that, that we're like using any opportunity we can to without becoming annoying, but using opportunities that we can to let people know that there is a premium offering here. It was nice to get something finished and just released right away. Like That's one of the nice things about this whole new subscription model is that we can just push features out as they're ready. We don't feel as much like, oh, we better keep this for like a launch in September or something. We can just push it out. And it's much more satisfying to like do the work, uh, send it to Apple, and then if you get a quick approval, you see how it's been received like right away. So Quite often when we've done features in the past, we develop them and we get excited about them. And then by the time other users see them, it's three weeks later and I'm I'm already bored of it by then. So it's hard to work or out three the enthusiasm months later. or longer. No, yeah. I was going to say three years later, but it has never been quite that long, but it's probably <laughs> been a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so one more thing we're looking at is uh, localizing to Chinese, which is going to be very exciting for Chinese users and maybe not so exciting for other users. But we noticed that um, looking at our subscriber numbers that the the conversion from like downloads to trials was much worse in China than it was anywhere else. Well, not anywhere else, but like anywhere else that has a significant amount of downloads. Yeah. And so, yeah, if we compared downloads to trials, and even if we compared just even active devices or active users to, to trials as well, it was, yeah, I think it kind of looked overall... Like a user in China is about one third as as likely to become a subscriber as as a user on the global average. So it seemed like an opportunity that's kind of worth exploring further and seeing what we can do to improve that. Yeah, I think localization will mainly make it possible for more people to try it, which maybe doesn't solve the conversion rate as much. But there's also, I mean, there's also the chance that people are installing it and then trying to use it and not understanding it. Um, so the localization might help, uh, might actually help improve, improve those rates. But I think a big thing is the price. Um, you probably can't just set one global price with this stuff. And one of the nice features of subscription on the App Store is that we can set different prices in different countries. So we decided to drop those a little bit, right? Yeah, so we've, I mean, that was one thing that we were able to do immediately. So, I mean, the localization is stuff that we're, is going to take us a little bit of time to go through the project and, and get it ready for that and send it off to the translators and all that kind of thing. Um, but the, yeah, the price change we were, we kind of sat down yesterday and went through and I think we basically knocked about 30% off the price for, for Chinese customers. Mm-hmm. And that co- that's going to come into effect this week. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the annual price used to be 58 um, yuan, and that's now down to 38 yuan. And quarterly price, we dropped down from 18 to 13. 
one thing that I f- that makes me feel good about like trying out price changes like this or like getting into the localization and stuff is like kind of that we have some data there. We have like like a solid enough amount of data to look at like how things are now and then to use that to evaluate how things change based on based on what we do now. Because I feel like with Castro One, in one way, yeah, we were better in terms of offering like localizations like we had i think eight or nine different localizations in it but we kind of just tried we kind of just threw them in like without any like real uh, deliberation um so we got a, a lot of different localizations in there but i don't think we ever had a very strong sense of what difference those were making or like how that was like was helping us to grow it as a business our process around selecting countries for localization has definitely got a lot better because back then we just picked countries that we thought we're like had big populations so therefore it would have lots of users but podcast listening varies hugely between countries like germans are the best podcast listeners on earth <laughs> by a long shot and then so good at listening to podcasts yeah that's amazing <laughs> 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 whereas uh france it seems to be in france it seems to be much less of a thing and so we had picked i think france germany italy Japan because we liked how it would look <laughs> like how the Japanese characters would look and I think we had Chinese as well um in Castro 1 and yeah that was done without any real research and just just trying it out we had no real way to measure as as you were saying like what the impact of doing those localizations was so even if they were very helpful I don't think we ever really followed up and did and added more later on right yeah, and we never really had like a strong marketing approach around it either. I'm not that I'm saying any marketing we have has ever been very strong. Uh, but I mean, that's one thing that I would like to try and like be more deliberate about when we get this Chinese localization finished as well is like, that should be an opportunity for us to contact a bunch of Chinese blogs, po- Chinese podcasts. I mean, we have some contacts at blogs and we've been on one or two Chinese podcasts at, at different stages. But I mean, I think... W- when that update comes out with the Chinese localization in it, that's a time for us, I think, to like focus our efforts in in that direction and like, um, yeah, just make a concerted effort, yeah, like, focused on that. And if if you run or know of any good Chinese podcasts or blogs and think they'd be interested in talking to us, please s- send them or send us an email. Uh, super, yeah, for sure. Su- support at supertop.co. Another useful thing we could do is have episodes in Chinese podcasts. That could be part of our strategy. For me, at least, I'm not sure about for everyone, but one of my favorite things about podcasts is episodes. Like, I just love when podcasts have episodes. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) I released an update on our server last week that required the enclosures in the RSS file to have an appropriate data type, like MIME type they're called. And that was, of course, a mistake because you can never trust anything in RSS files. This one very large Chinese podcast host, whose name I don't think I even want to attempt to say, (laughs) Zimbalaya or something like that. I'm sure that's actually nothing like that, I bet, but maybe someone can parse that. Um, We looked up, or we tried to look up how to pronounce UN before the podcast, and we probably still got that one wrong. So I don't give you much hope on on that (laughs) post. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to move along quickly now. Um, so yeah, they were declaring all of their MP3 enclosures as text HTML. So our server thought they weren't actually podcast episodes because it is possible to have an RSS feed where you have an item, which is normally an episode for a podcast, but it could be a blog post on a blog or an image or something like that. 
and you can have uh, items with multiple enclosures. It's pretty rare, but once in a while you see it. Um, so the update I was making to the server was to make it better at picking out the right enclosure. So I had to, uh, I needed some rules to be able to think about how to decide among two or three, which was the best one. And so I thought if I look for audio mime types, that would do the trick, but it doesn't. So, so that had the effect of unpublishing every single episode across like 5,000 podcasts, which are all in China. So that's a little disappointing when we're spending hours pondering like these spreadsheets of download numbers and conversion rates. And then the fundamental feature of the app playing episodes was broken for two or three days. Um, but anyway, they're back now. So feeling good about that. Okay, so that's probably enough, a little bit enough about Castro for now. There was a, there was a blog post came out yesterday written by the CTO of Anchor, um, Nur Zickerman, I think is his name. The premise of the blog post was saying, hey, you shouldn't be, nobody should have to pay to be hosting podcasts. Uh, but I guess the subtext of that was because Anchor offered them for free, not just that like nobody should be paying at all. I think it was generally kind of a marketing pitch that like, to let everybody know that you can host your podcast for free on Anchor. There was quite a bit of kind of reaction around that on Twitter. It's kind of interesting. Do you want to give a rundown of like kind of what to... Sure, yeah. Yeah, just a couple of... A few people wrote different things, but uh, the ones that that seemed to get the most attention were Manton Reese, who runs uh, micro.blog that has a podcasting service. Here's a quote from his blog saying, Anchor seems to be going for the YouTube model. They want a huge number of people to use their platform but the concentration of so much media in one place is one of the problems with today's web. Massive social networks like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube have too much power over writers, photographers, and video creators. We do not want that for podcasts. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think uh, Zickerman is maybe being slightly disingenuous by saying that they should just be free because the costs of hosting have dropped so much over the years. Like there's an element of truth in that, but... The, the way they're paying for it is by taking tens of billions of VC money. So it's certainly not free for their investors. Um, yeah, and then again, another point in Manton's post as well was that like the, just the price that was reported in that of like, this is how much it costs us to host and stream podcasts. Um, I mean, that's also slightly disingenuous because it doesn't take into account like the amount of like the development costs, the staff costs, the office costs, I mean, everything else that's behind it. It's not just, it's yeah. not just about like one outlay, one, like one cost on an invoice. I mean, there's like so much more that goes into like getting that infrastructure in place to where they're able to to offer this for free. And of course they can only offer it for free because they have another business plan in, well, at least in, in planning. Mm-hmm. If you're figuring out that it's a dollar a year to host a feed, that might be related to how many downloads each episode is getting like if you have tens of thousands of feeds that are all getting millions of downloads it's going to cost more than that to host them but since it's like a it's like an amateur creation platform where you can get into podcasting for the first time and hopefully develop and become better um there's going to be tons of accounts that just have one or two episodes right like that's pretty natural yeah but i and i but i think there is something interesting there into like just in terms of like anger's approach in terms of yeah, okay, maybe, like, yeah, to host, like, the most popular podcasts in the world, obviously it's going to cost them a lot more than a dollar per year. But if they decide that, like, okay, we're just going to write off the cost of hosting any podcast whatsoever because they're going to, like, build up this business where they can insert ads into podcasts and that's their monetization strategy, 
then obviously that scales with like as the podcasts become more popular, they get more advertising revenue as well. So it kind of scales that way for them as well. Yeah, for sure. But I can see how the averages maybe do work out the way they're saying, but it's still not that. It doesn't mean that the costs of hosting a popular podcast are $1 a year. Um, Jason Snell mentioned a point that I think is kind of important. Um, and it's like the maybe the upside of what Anchor is doing. And I'll just quote his blog here. Anchor's tools have the potential to let people create podcasts who would never have even bothered trying before. I think that's true, and that is cool. And I had a look at the numbers of their podcasts in Tentacles, our, our podcast server that that uh, Castro uses. And uh, yeah, there are, I think, about 26,000 Anchor podcasts, and very few of them moved from elsewhere to Anchor. Like, they're mostly ones that started up on Anchor. And I think that's that's a really cool thing. Like, they're not just taking over what's already there. They're bringing new people in. So that's that can only be good, right? Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I mean, like one, like we've, I mean, we had an episode, it was quite a while ago now, but about the future of podcasting. Um, but I remember one of our big questions at the time was like, where is the growth going to come from? Like, where, how does, how does podcasting become, like, say, twice or three times as big as it is today? Now, there's other things that have kind of come out recently, like, say, for example, Google have released their podcast app for Android. And their claim is that, that they think they can double the podcast audience with that. But then on, from the other side of things, like how do you get like more people podcasting and more content and more diverse content? I think Anchor's approach and in terms of like creating tools that are making it easier for people to do that is potentially like a net positive in terms of the range of content that's going to be out there and the, the variety of voices and, and of different points of view that you can hear. Yeah, so there's there's tons of VC money around this industry. And I think there's an assumption that there's tons of growths just about ready to happen and everyone's trying to position themselves to win if it does happen. I'm not really sure that those premises are that solid, but my opinion isn't going to stop them from trying. There's a strategy, an obvious strategy that we can see anchors trying to follow here where they're trying to like grow new talent rather than pay current existing podcasts to join their platform. And I think that's definitely one way to go. And if podcasters and app makers and listeners are concerned about VCs coming in and ruining everything. I think we need to we need to make sure we recognize what the weaknesses are in podcasting and keep innovating and evolving the ecosystem or else the VCs will figure out what those weaknesses are and they'll exploit them and they'll get what they want. Um, so yeah, I think listening to what Anchor and these other companies are all saying and doing is a good way to understand what they think the opportunities are. I think there's a good basis for what Anchor is doing that like it is pretty awkward to make a podcast for someone just starting out um, and hosting costs have dropped a bit and probably don't, you know, you probably don't need to pay $20 a month to host to host your brand new podcast. Yeah, the other thing I think though is that like, like save just like a knee jerk reaction to any VC money being involved in podcasts what's like whatsoever. Like say you mentioned there this idea that which is more kind of a general sense kind of around Twitter and in the community or whatever that like all VCs are going to ru ruin podcasting. What is it that's going to ruin podcasting? Because I don't think it is people being able to host podcasts for free and more people being able to create podcasts. I think what people are afraid of is more that there will be this like walled garden created like like YouTube, for example. And I guess there is the potential that that is like say of Anchor did become super successful maybe that is an approach that would that they would try to 
then use their power to to uh, like to create an ecosystem like that. As things are right now, they I, I'm not sure if I see that as being necessarily part of their strategy because their strategy seems to be more about like inserting ads into podcasts, and I think they will still want those ads to be going out or to be inserted into podcasts as they're downloaded anywhere in whatever clients. I mean, anybody who hosts a podcast on Anchor now has an RSS feed. As you said, we have 26,000 of them in Castro. You can listen to it in Overcast, in Apple Podcasts, in Google Podcasts, anywhere you want. So I don't know if I would be that scared of the idea of, I mean, I'm not scared at all of the idea of a company that's offering free hosting because they want to insert ads. Maybe there's something I'm missing there or some naivety on my part. I don't know. It's not setting alarm bells ringing for me anyhow. Yeah. And they've been working on interesting podcast creation tools on the iPad and Apple have actually featured them for this. So I don't think we should assume that Apple is going to like scare away any competitors in the podcasting space. Like I think they, they kind of like what Anchor are doing. And yeah, it does. It kind of reminds me of Apple in the 2000s where they were democratizing the creation of this stuff, like making it possible for amateurs to make movies in iMovie, which was probably, you know, those ended up all getting distributed on YouTube later on, I'm sure. There's something about Anchor's approach that is positive, and you have to weigh, you have to give them credit for that part. And yeah, we'll see how it goes, I guess. I guess one potential, like, downside or, like, where it can all fall apart in the end is, like, if the business model doesn't work out, if the VC money dries up, if these thousands or tens of thousands or however many hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are, have been created on Anchor eventually become homeless someday because Anchor goes away, there's potential there that then that like ends up like just having a net negative effect on podcasting because like something that became like a backbone to a lot of things went away because business model wasn't viable. I mean, it's a very different scenario, but like say like when Google Reader closed down, like for example, and then that had a very big effect on on RSS as a whole. Yeah. But I mean, that's getting way further down the road. And I mean, that's me really actually, I think, stretching to try and like find a point there. <laughs> <laughs> well, if their strategy is to try to grow new talent on their platform and hopefully keep it there, um, they're going to have to be committed for like a few years before they'll manage to reap the benefits of that. Like how many tens or hundreds of thousands of YouTube accounts do you have to have before you have one like good one? Mm. Um, so I imagine that they're, yeah, if that's their strategy, I'd hope that they've like paced out their their piles of VC money so that they could stay around for long enough to see it through. Maybe if they're not hitting the hitting the right numbers that they need to be hitting within two or three years, it just gets pulled. It, it could happen for sure. But I mean, lots of podcasts were hosted on SoundCloud and people seem to be leaving them quite quickly uh, as they've sort of been, or there've been rumors of them going out of business for a while. So I think as long as as long as the company hosting it is uh, decent enough to provide a redirect facility, which is very cheap and easy for them to do if they choose to, then it won't do any long-term damage to podcasting. Anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things turn out with Anchor. Okay, I said that was enough of talking about Castro earlier on, but I realized that I really want to hear more about Castro. Podrick, can you tell me anything more about Castro? Anything else you've been working on? <laughs> so yeah, I've been working on a feature for Castro 3.1, which I'm hoping will come out shortly after this episode, like within a week or so. Um, but as always, we'll see. Um, and it's a sideloading feature. So you'll be able to get just plain MP3 files into Castro to play them without them having to 
be in an RSS feed or be served online somewhere. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that because it'll open up the ability to play audiobooks here in Vancouver. At least you can rent audio or borrow audiobooks from the library, and you can just download the MP3 files, and they're DRM free. And so you could just put them in Castro to listen to them with uh, trim silences, or occasionally people, you know, you just end up with a random MP3 of like. Uh, there was a video of a conference talk on YouTube and somebody ripped the audio out of it and you want to listen to it because the, the video isn't that important. Um, yeah. Another way we use it or we want to use it is to preview episodes as we edit them. So if if we get like a draft of one of these podcast episodes we're working on and we want to listen through to make sure it's all good, um, we it's nicer not to have to put that in an RSS feed. It's much nicer just to be able to drop it into the app. Yeah, that's the that's the part I'm really excited about because I, I've usually yeah I mean when Jim sends us back this episode, my strategy before would have been to listen to it just like straight into Dropbox app on the phone. But I mean that leads to all sorts of I don't know. It's not very good to remember and play position and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's cool that we'll I'll be able to like listen to like drafts of of our episodes in Castro itself. Yeah, and I'm I'm most excited just about like we're providing a tool here that like people are going to use in ways that we we haven't thought of yet. There's something exciting about that, especially in the like as iOS starts to get a bit more uh, complex with things like the shortcuts app letting you chain things together. I think there's something cool about just being here's the app where like maybe you have some long workflow that somehow creates an MP3 out of an article and then you dump it in this folder and Castro can play it. Like, just being able to be part of those tool chains, I think, is kind of exciting. Yeah, and in terms of that, actually, like, we didn't actually, I don't think we mentioned it yet, but, like, just the mechanism by which this syncs is, like, through iCloud Drive. Um, so, like, on your Mac or on Files app on on your phone, you can, like, place files in that folder, and then they'll show up in Castro. So when it comes to, like, automation and different tool chains and stuff like that, that means that it's also going to be able to take advantage of all that automation stuff that already exists on the Mac, uh, like anything that anybody does that ends up with an MP3 at the end of a of a workflow, move that MP3 into the Castro folder in iCloud Drive on your Mac, and it'll show up in Castro then. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So there's a Castro there's a Castro folder in iCloud Drive, and there's just a forward slash audio folder, and anything you drop in there will appear as an basically as an episode in the inbox. You can set it up just like a normal podcast, where like it'll automatically queue next those episodes. Or, or just leave them in the inbox for you to triage. And then, yeah, when you queue them, it'll download them into Castro and like copy the MP3 into our storage. So then it can delete off the iPhone. It doesn't have to keep a local, two local copies, basically. Anyway, I'm getting lost in the details there. But yeah, it being iCloud Drive means it's kind of just integrated with everything already. Like anything that can save into iCloud Drive can now add an episode to Castro. So yeah, pretty exciting. What do you think of the name Sideloading? That's what we just called it for a long time. And I was like, oh, yeah, we'll definitely have to come up with a name for it at some stage. Yeah, the more that I hear it, the more it's just like, it's like, that's just what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of putting a different name on it doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> I like that it's just descriptive of what it is. The only time I've heard that word before is about like the idea of being able to install apps on your phone without like them going to an app store. If that's a well-known, well-understood phrase in that context, I think it does explain it kind of well because you're you're avoiding the need to go through an RSS feed. And yeah, anything, other things we tried like Im- imported episodes or it all just seemed plainly descriptive and a bit dull. 
And sideloading actually calls it something, like the feature's named something now. Oh, one other thing is that iCloud Drive and the APIs around it are pretty good. Like, I was afraid that once I got this working, I'd start to have to figure out weird edge cases. And so far, it's all just been, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's not that surprising. I mean, it's used, it's been around for long enough and it's used a lot. But yeah, it's so cool to just drop a file in on your Mac and then you can see the progress as it uploads on your Mac. And then as soon as that's done, it just appears on your phone, like in that folder. Yeah, it's sweet. I remember the first time that we kind of messed around with those APIs, or we weren't messing around, I guess, but the first time that we worked with those APIs was for the the iCloud backup and restore. And I remember that stage just getting like a kind of a sense of satisfaction out of like doing something on the phone and then it's showing up on the Mac. I mean, this is pretty rudimentary sync stuff, <laughs> but uh, I just remember just, yeah, just a great sense of satisfaction in that. But Obviously, there weren't like huge new workflows that it enabled for me and stuff like that. It's just that I could see a file there or I could copy one easily, I guess, between the main Castro on my phone and the dev Castro. But uh, now that it's like actually with content that can then be listened to in the app, yeah, I'm going to have to start listening to audiobooks and stuff. <laughs> It'll just be interesting to see how it's used in those ways. Like, so, because say we do, like, say we get requests from people every once in a while, like, oh, can you add support for audiobooks? Or, oh, maybe could you make like an audiobook app? a specific audiobook app. Or, and I mean, we consider all sorts of different ideas like that. Um, but what I really like about the, this sideloading feature is that, I mean, it's still Castro, it's still a podcast app. Uh, we're opening it up like in a certain way where like you, you can, like, as you said, sideload, bypass, like some of the standard ways that you currently get audio into the app. But I think based on how people use that and like even how we end up using it, I mean, I don't know, it's not impossible to imagine it over time seeing like how it's used and like ways that different workflows could be optimized for it. I mean, now it's like very general and it's like, okay, any audio file you want to do, you can even like, I mean, I probably wouldn't recommend this as your way to listen to music, but I mean, clearly you could just drop music in and then use Castro as a music player, for example. That was actually the first thing I did with, uh, <laughs> right. when, yeah. when I got the test flight installed yesterday, um, I put in uh, there's a musician friend of mine named uh, Rob Cunningham who has this. I actually just searched for MP3s on my computer to find ones to test with, and this song called "The Head Collector" came up. That's like an 11 minute epic story thing. Okay, yeah. And so I threw that in there and listened to it in Castro. It was pretty funny to have music there. Oh, I just remembered that I downloaded this like album of like it's called like Six Montreal Poets or something like that hmm. from the 60s. It's one of the like first time that uh, Leonard Cohen's. Uh, voice was ever recorded performing and but it was reading poetry as opposed to singing and oh, it was wow. along with like a, five other poets who lived in Montreal at the time but I haven't listened to it yet but now I just thought like oh I should put those mp3s in and listen to it in Castro instead since it's, it is spoken word content I don't need to listen to it in a music player it'll be quite <laughs> cool I think to see um, how people use it and yeah if like somehow Castro becomes the audiobook player of choice and like way more people use it for that than they ever did for podcasts then like that'll be a pretty good sign that maybe we should make an audiobook app like it'll be, <laughs> it'll be cool to just have this feature out there and then see where people go with it and then maybe develop from there yeah i'm excited about it yeah for sure yeah that's what i like about it how open it is i mean we can just people can figure out what they want to do with it and if there's certain things that people really want to do that have some rough edges then i mean those are the edges that we can then work on you know we're not yeah. trying to say this is what how you have to use it this is what you have to do it's like there's going to be tons of ways that this can be used and let's just see how let's just see how it goes 
Yeah, no, it'll be cool. And yeah, just to bring it back to last episode where we were talking about how we want to start to like not just implement really obvious features that are like a clear roadmap where we're catching up with other apps or just building what Apple is building whatever Apple's put in the new iOS. This has felt really good that way too, even though it, it does exist in other apps like uh, Overcast has a, a cloud upload feature that lets you do the same thing. I think this will be better with iCloud Drive because it's integrated across the Mac and in the Files app already, but but still, it's like a comparable feature. Um, and I think Downcast lets you import from uh, Dropbox. Um, so yeah, it's not fully original and innovative the way we maybe spoke about, but it still has that feeling of like, oh, people might do cool stuff with this. It's it's not so, yeah, it's not like a plainly obvious thing. So yeah, that's where we yeah, are. Yeah, I agree. It's great to see it. I actually <laughs> used it. Today is actually the first time I used it, which feels a little bit strange since you've been working on it for a while. <laughs> um, I hadn't seen like any interim builds until today, but yeah, woke up this morning, there was a test flight there and installed it and yeah, got to play around with it for the first time. So nice work. I look forward to to us uh, getting that out there when it's ready. But don't be promising people that it's going to be out in a week after this episode. You never know. Yeah, Jim <laughs> might get this edited faster than I want him to, and then we'll be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, slow down, Jim. Slow down. <laughs> All right. Well, All thanks right. for thanks for listening. Um, th- we'll get this feature out within a few weeks, I suppose. And then, yeah, we'll be this back. Feature will be out in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, don't that's fair. To Podrick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back soon. Yo, one thing you may have noticed is that this episode is going to have come out like much sooner after the previous episode than usual. We are trying to get onto a two-weekly schedule, so uh, wish us luck, and uh, we'll hopefully be back soon uh, with more from Supertop. All right. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Ciao.